Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. And this is a very special Sheffield Digital Showcase edition of the show. That's a lot of shows already. And um, this is all about um, the showcase that was held on the 12th of December, Thursday, 12th of December, 2019 at the workstation. The Sheffield Digital Showcase is where we get five impressive digital projects that have been developed recently here in the city. And we get the people behind those projects to come and talk. They talk to our very own Chris Diamond, who you'll, you'll hear from in a second. And the idea behind these events is to get together to celebrate digital products, services, campaigns and experiences that are made here in Sheffield and to introduce audiences both online and offline to the people who made them as discussed. So you're about to hear from Chris. He's going to be interviewing the following people. So first we have Adiam Emmanuel, founder of 721, Dan Dukeson, director of engineering at Pendo, Martin Benson, head of AI consulting at J-Wing and Tim Latham, owner of Data Trainer. They're on together. James Jeffries of Shedcode and the VEX Robotics team 47618C from UTC Sheffield, who've achieved marvellous things in the last year or so. And so that's it. I hope you enjoy these interviews. If you want to actually see them, actually watch them, all of these talks are on YouTube as well, so you can go and see the actual things on the Sheffield Digital, then that's fine too. And I shall pass you on to Chris with the very first interview. We're going to invite our first guest up on stage. That's Adiam Emmanuel. So, Adiam, um, you're the founder of 721, yes. which is a travel app, isn't it? Events experience okay. travel app. Cool. Let's uh, just see if my clicker works. Okay, so, um, so tell us how 721 works and how it came about. Okay, so 721 stands for uh, seven continents into one. So it's a social discovery app for finding things to do near you. Um, so it's location-based. So basically the way it works is that everything that's on Google or Eventbrite, we've kind of put into this app. And we've uh, uh, the way it works is it's like um, uh, Tinder, swipe left, swipe right, sort okay. of. Uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah. So you express your preference and whether you're interested in something by swiping. Yeah, so and you get a whole list of different things that you could potentially go and do. Yeah, definitely. As you can see there, so we, you can have uh, the event information there, of where to go, what it is, the price. And uh, so all you have to do is swipe right if you want to attend, swipe left if you're not interested. But over time, we take into account all those uh, yes and no's. Mm -hmm. So we can better recommend things that we think is more suited to you. So whether that's in Sheffield or you go and travel to... Um, uh, Leeds, New York. So we okay. have that in mind. So we can pull out the the yeah, events, experiences okay. that are more suited to your personality. So the things that you tend to go to at home, in your yeah. home city or home place, yes. uh, you carry with you and get suggested similar things when you go to Yeah, so the places. idea is that you can always find something to do where you are that is of your interest. And uh, yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, let me know when you'd like to move on and, yeah. and what you'd like to show. Um, okay, sure. Um, okay, so I got the, the idea in when I was traveling in India. And um, I think I've always had the idea, but this, it's that particular time. And um, I think people were struggling on uh, things to do. And I was kind of asking people as well. And I realized that um, a lot of people were writing down things to do. Um, 
in north of India. Okay. Uh, some people were sending it through like Facebook or through Instagram, or some people were writing on a piece of paper. So it's kind of going through all these different um, information on the train uh, from Chennai to New Delhi. And then the idea sort of hit me surely there's a tool out there right. with all this content in one place rather than having to go through all these different um, different ways. So I thought, okay, so let me have a look at it. Did my research trying to find out if there was an app that existed that could do this, but there yeah. wasn't one. So I thought, right, maybe it's time for me to do it. Is that still the case? There's, there's no, because this seems like a really simple way of deciding what to do and yeah. going through a lot, you know, a lot of information quickly. I think the idea of implementing something to make it easier is out there, but the way we've done it in the sort of Tinder, swipe yes, yeah. you know, the easy decision making, the easy like uh, interaction with it, that the functionality side of that mm -hmm. hasn't quite been implemented yet. Right. And um, so, yeah, so I decided I'm going to do it. And at the time I was living in Shanghai, so um, I went back to Shanghai, um, I formed my own team, and uh, we, we started it there, basically. Cool. But then um, the, the laws in China didn't really, d don't really favor startup business. Okay. It's not that easy. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't really work out. And then I came back home and uh, started again. And this, it's been amazing so far. Okay. Yeah. So, so how long, when was it in, that you started it in Shanghai or when uh, did you last, first run get it uh, off last, the uh, Over a year ago. Okay. Yeah. So not that long ago. But. So I've been in Sheffield. Yeah. So we started it in Sheffield. Um, well, I got my team in April. We launched in September. Right. So wow. it's, it's a new app. Okay. And, and this is what it looks like? This is, yes. So this is uh, that first page, the first slide is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, on the app, but yeah. there's, there's guess, a back end to it, I guess. Yeah, so there's the, there's the app and the website. So on the app, um, so the app is a JavaScript backend, Java frontend, and we're pulling the content at the moment from Eventbrite, Skiddle, Ticketmaster. So with Eventbrite and, uh, and Ticketmaster, it's international, <laughs> so it's actually available in Canada or New York, not just Sheffield. Okay. And uh, whilst using that content that's available, we're also generating our own. So we partnered up with uh, two local businesses in Sheffield, okay. and we're also um, going to be uh, meeting both of the universities in January. So we're sort of generating local uh, businesses content onto the app. Uh -huh. And for new partners, they can go onto our website, they can create their own account, they can uh, post their own listings, their events to that which then comes onto the app. Okay. So you're, you're pulling feeds in from these global platforms like Eventbrite. Yes. Um, which seeds your data, essentially. It means you've got a presence everywhere yes. very quickly. Um, but then presumably um, people that want to promote their activities or services on your website have to pay a fee or um, do you offer it for free at the moment? How does, so how does it work the moment, for you? We're, we're getting the revenue through uh, the affiliate links that, because we're using Eventbrite, Skittle and Ticketmaster. Okay, so yeah. later on our plan is to um, charge the partners per listing and to also get commission through the bookings. So we haven't, that's not yet, uh, we're, we're still growing. Yeah. Kind of growing the user base and also yeah. the partners in Sheffield. Yeah. So we haven't implemented that yet, but the okay. fees are coming through, uh, the money's coming through right. the uh, affiliates and we work with right, so, as well for. So you, you just launched in September? We launched in sep late September, so it's just been over two, three months. Yeah. So yeah. And, um, 
And so how was that journey? How did you go about setting the company up from the idea to, to launch? Because it seems a very short amount of time to build something that you can actually launch into the ecosystem. Um, I think the trial and error in Shanghai probably helped me with that, right. to be fair. So kind of coming back home and I kind of learned from the mistakes before in Shanghai. So I kind of knew what not to do. Yeah. Um, so there was less room for mistakes when I tried again. Okay. And I think, because um, I'm currently located at Sheffield Technology Parks, yeah. and they're well connected to, to Sheffield Digital, yeah. to Business Sheffield, and everything else in the city. There's a strong like startup ecosystem in Sheffield, which I never knew about. No. So I was it's a lot stronger now than it was a few years ago, that's, I think, that's uh, for sure. Yeah. It, I mean, I think the ecosystem in Sheffield is, is much changed and yeah. and much better than it was just three or four years ago. So you guys ago, are helping so with that as well. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, but yeah, so you, you built a team around around the app. So that, that helped. And I think, and yeah, so one of the things that um, uh, Sheffield Technology Parks do is they sponsor the Startup Weekend. Yeah. Um, and that's half, I think there was one in April and there was one in uh, November. Yeah, there was just gone. gone, yeah. So I participated in the competition in April and I won that competition. Oh, that's how okay. I met uh, my teammates. I kind of pitched the idea right. over the three days, came up with a viable product. Okay. Sort of knew how to turn that idea into a business, which I probably didn't before in Shanghai. Right. And then through that, I met my teammates and uh, we started working on that through, we were working at Collider through summer. Yeah. Uh, we launched our first app android version in um, should, we, should, we, should we see the team yeah that's the team that so i met alex at the startup weekend um so my and then alex introduced me to bav so myself alex and bav launched a 721 app in android in google play source in um september we met simon last month so who is mostly working on the um the web development side and also the ios for okay. january so Oh, okay, so you've launched on Android in September, but we you've got a... Yeah, we're working on iOS for next month. Okay, cool. And the website, we've, we're relaunching the website this month. Okay. Oh, so as a, as a user, you can use the website as well rather so than just we, use mobile? Yes, we already have a link to, uh, that we've sent out to the partners and they're using the website Okay. Um, as we're sort of finishing it up. So. Okay, so is the, is the website user-facing, like consumer-facing, or is it just for your partners to it's manage? Both. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, how do, I mean, how does it work on the website when? Because it's such a swipey mobile so application. Now, so the website concept. is for partners to be able to. Oh, I see what you mean. Now. So yeah. To be able to. No, it's just a landing page for, from user aspects. For, for partners, okay. they'll be able to log in, create their own account. Uh, submit the listings, which then gets onto the app, and then so the whole Tinder, the functionality, yeah, yeah, is on the, on the app. app. Okay. But for, for the consumer see. facing, it's an app. It's basically a, you know guiding them to get the app and yes. install it and yes. yeah. cool, explain what the concept is. It's great. So how are you? So now, presumably now you're kind of you're trying to grow it on multiple fronts and get more content, but also make it more um, visible to travelers and get the name yeah. out there so they start using it. How's how's that going? How's that's, the that's good? I think because we have a very strong social media presence, which sort of helped to to get users on board um, onto the app. And I think also on our app that the users are finding out that. That they're finding events that they wouldn't usually find that's mm. out there, you know? And so that's kind of getting people eager to sort of explore more and find out more. And even events such as this, or the Friday morning coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like things like that, that people wouldn't usually know about, right? So right. We, we should get of, Geek Breakfast on it, shouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, we should yeah, definitely. Right. <laughs> um, 
but things like yeah so it, it's kind of interesting to see how uh, people are responding to it yeah. they're finding new cool events and uh, they're excited for the iOS as well that's coming out in January cool yeah. so so that's so what's your plan that's our journey oh this is the journey up till now so everyone can see that yeah. uh, we've done a lot in a very short amount of time and so at the moment we're just finishing up building the AI um, for the uh, for the app. So what this will do is uh, all this content that we're getting, we'll be able to sort of categorize it and filter it yeah. how we want to sort of put that Spotify element onto it, where we can sort of organize the information. Um, yeah, and yeah. surface the things, the recommendations that yeah. people are interested in. People personally. are interested in, but also it's like oh, rainy day. You know what you'll right. you know what you want. Okay. Um, sort of that aspect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. So it's to make so it's, even more personalized. We're right. building like machines and tools to make it even more personalized for you. So not only are you just doing something that's new you, but it's it's really something that you want to do. Yeah. It's dependent whether it's on the weather or whether it's on your mood. Yeah. So we're building okay. tools to, to improve that. Um, and like I said, we're working on new partners such as both of the universities. Yeah. So we're getting them on board and uh, they see it. They're excited because it's a platform that they can... Um, that their students can use yeah, yeah. around Sheffield itself, yeah. whether it's newcomers or exist uh, or yeah, yeah. it's uh, really difficult students. for people that have just moved to the city to find out what's going on and yeah. engage with it. So yeah, beyond like this place is here, this place is here. Because yeah, it's an activity to do. Yeah. Um, oh, so that's cool. It's yeah. fantastic. It's really exciting to see. Yeah, something that's come through that route as well through yeah. startup weekends and you know to something that is actually out out in yeah it's kind of weird as well You're like oh my god it's, yeah it is weird when you have an idea and then you kind of set it up and then you see people using it and then they're reacting to it and you're like oh it's real excellent yeah. well congratulations thank for everything you. so far and thank you, thank we look out to see the rest of the journey and see how far much. you get so but it's thank great you. really lovely to meet you and thanks for coming on and speaking adiam everyone Marvellous. And the next person to the stage was Dan Dukeson, Director of Engineering at Pendo. Take it away, Chris. All right. Should we, uh, should we head straight into your first slide, Dan? Yeah, why not? Oops, backwards, forwards. So, so you founded Receptive a few years ago yeah. with our mutual friend Hannah, Hannah yeah. Chaplin. Yeah, so March 2015, we, we, we founded Receptive. Um, we spent... Uh, the next few years working working our uh, socks off on that um, and then and then we sold the business we sold we sold our startup to a much bigger company so we yeah. achieved what we set out to do which is great um, but that's sort of another story this hopefully this story is what happened like so this was one. this was in April yeah, this year, wasn't April it? the 30th right, right. so <laughs> 1st of May right. I wake up and, yeah. and I'm a employee of Pendo. Wow. And I've got a job to do. Yeah. So the job is to make our start of our product be become part of Pendo's products, right? So you got this the so the, the the visual is about yeah, the, suddenly we're in the room with this enormous whale. Oh, it's a shark, actually, but we'll say whale. Yeah, it's a whale it's shark. whale shark, yeah. right? So we'll, we'll, we're not pretending. So, so, so are you like a cleaner a fish, fish? Like a tiny... With a little, yeah. With a, with a, we're a very small fish suddenly, and we've got to cooperate with the big, the big yeah. fish, right? Yeah, how, so, how big are Pendo as a um, comparison? So today there's something approaching 400 people work there. Right. Um, Whereas we would fit around a, a table in a restaurant yeah. when we're required. So 
Right. Um, so yeah, just having. I mean, you you've as you as you know, I've never really worked in a big company. I'm a small company. Yeah. So we had yeah. a, lot, a lot of learning to do. Yeah. So yeah, the the mission now was to get our product to work in that with the big fish, right? So um, and I was leading the team of engineers that had to uh, deliver that project. So um, that's what that that one's about. So yeah, um, the migration of the wildebeest. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we we one of the things that we had to do, kind of as a prerequisite for any for launching any product, for for acquiring any new customers. Um, so you you won't be surprised to learn that we we kind of tried to stop acquiring new customers. There was a quiet yeah, period. Um, and one of the jobs we needed to do was to migrate everything that we'd done from Amazon's. AWS, Amazon yeah. Web Services, into Go the Google Cloud. Now, that project, the, the, the image here is, you're migrating, it looks pretty So th those are your users? <laughs> these are my services, these are my okay. servers, right? Yeah. So uh, it's dangerous and risky. Like, I yeah. wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy <laughs> to take a really well-functioning yeah. service that works and lift it, it's called a lift and shift, right? And mm. just for, so that's for four, just a, basically four years worth of code. Yeah, and and all the all the systems to monitor things, yeah. all the storage, all the databases, all the servers, all the deployment systems, and move that into another cloud. Now that it it is such it's a big job, and the, the the idea there is it's risky. Like it was scary, it was terrifying, yeah. <laughs> it was dry mouths, and um, so yeah, that was our first job as, as engine. So so that was fun. Right. So that was just to get your existing product working in their infrastructure. Yeah. That was step had, one of the process. Yeah, we had to move. We had to be underneath uh, Pendo's kind of security rules. Right, they, yeah, of course. Know, they've, got, they've got all their systems and, and monitoring and security. Yeah, so and there's teams of people that can, can yeah. run systems for us, but we had to get them there first. So that was a hell of a project. Um, we, we, yeah, we pulled it off, but it was scary. Mm -hmm. it was scary. So how long did that part of the process take? Um, I, I don't remember exactly but it was it was kind of it was a couple of months i think yeah, yeah, yeah. and what's this so this is um pandemonium is is, is the pendo conference so the customer conference so hundreds and hundreds of people come <laughs> to this and it's relevant for this conversation because uh that was when we were going to relaunch this product so that 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 conference had been decided upon a year before we right met. because they have they have an annual customer conference yeah. and yeah and we were going to be launched there right so there's a heart like any software people in the room want <laughs> you do not want yeah, there's one or two on, i think right so you don't the, the idea that you're going to launch on this day and everything's going to work perfectly yeah. is 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 a tricky one to swallow, right? So this was a fact of life now, is is uh, the product formerly known as Receptive, Pendo Feedback, is going to be launched at Pendemonium. Uh, the CEO and Hannah, our CEO, we're going to stand on stage and present the perfectly working integrated products. So that was... Um, so I guess the point there is... is um, Yeah, you had a fixed deadline. You got a fixed deadline. Could not so, shift. Yeah, so what had to... If, if that can't move, then the thing we had to do as technical people was to be ready to r really, right, really be ready to drop scope yeah. and be really um, rigorous about rejecting any kind of 
because you know there's a lot of people interested in adding scope to your project sure and my job was to and and people the job of other people who who uh <coughs> who were managing the product and so on, mm. was to say no to everything that was happening. Right. So we, we just had to hit that deadline and anything that got in the way. So how unreasonable was the deadline? Uh, firstly, how unreasonable was the deadline? And secondly, did you know about the deadline when you were acquired or was that uh, sprung on you? I guess we knew, <laughs> I guess we knew. Um, so yeah, it was pretty unreasonable, yeah. Right, did, so not everything was going to make it in anyway. We hit, we hit it, yeah, we hit it and we launched and we, and we signed contracts and and launch new to new customers wow. on the day. So we got there, yeah. but only by being, yeah. you know, we've been around long enough that you know what not to do, right? Yeah. And the people that that we would, our kind of sister team on the other, on the big company side. Yeah, who were in America, presumably. Sure, yeah, yeah. Was, was startup people and they, in, in the sense that they knew how okay. to, not get everything they wanted right? yeah to be very right so this is the new relationship that you've got with the engineering people yeah. over there yeah yeah and presumably they're pushing for as much function because this is a big deal to launch yeah. at their annual conference yeah so well, they're, they're pushing for yeah to not have scope cut yeah but luckily the you know at, at pendo our our leadership people running the business so the founders and they're very technical people yeah. they're product people and they're engineering people so this was an easy conversation to have right if if you can imagine it might not have been. Yes. Well, it was an easy Well, yes. Well, I, I can certainly imagine other types of company that maybe... Yeah, less reasonable. ...wouldn't be, wouldn't yeah. understand the pressures quite as much. Yeah, yeah. So we're all in... Pre presumably, together. I mean, Pendo were, were a, a startup similar to Receptive not that long not ago. Not so long, in living memory, right? Right, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely, that helped. That yeah. culture is still there. That culture is still there. And it's still run by the same people. It hasn't yeah, been sure. sold yeah. off to... Absolutely, the four founders are yeah. still running, running the business, so... What's this? The string telephone. Um, right, this uh, well-prepared slide. So uh, here's, the, here's the, the message here, something that we took away after when we looked back and said, how did this work? Why, why was it a success? And, and this was about limited lines of communication between the teams. So you've got my team in Sheffield, and we've got, a sis like I mentioned, a sister team in, in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. And this wasn't my idea. Somebody, somebody came up with it. Um, was to is to have a permanent team that we interacted with on that side. So rather than having to navigate, right, their internal structures. Yeah, yeah. Is is we we just had a, a go to team. Okay. And that was uh, so. This is what this represents. Is is if you ever face with this this problem, is that was looking back, that was a smart move. <laughs> there were a limited number of people that. Um, right. needed to, to deal with on a day-to-day -day mm. basis because we had a ton of work to do yeah. as well as a lot of people to educate on how our product worked, our messaging, pricing and so, to market. So you could sort of delegate involvement at their end. So if you needed the right security yeah. people to talk to, you wouldn't yeah. have to go and figure out who that was. You sure. could just go, that's essentially a hotline then. Exactly. That. To you know your counterparts in America who are like just as responsible as you are for making sure Absolutely that the deadline's right. hit. And yeah, so ex it was exactly that. It was, and the people there could make decisions and could call the shots, right. and block things. And, and that, that, that was helpful. That was really yeah. helpful. Yeah, yeah, so um, that's, that's that slide. Hopefully yeah. there's one more. Yes. Yeah, the tools. Um, <laughs> pile of tools uh so yeah something that that we did that we then had to clean up later was right. was that 
the tools that I'm trying to represent kind of infrastructure and um, processes. So you've got big company processes and small company lack of processes. Yeah. So we, we had to really be uh, as smart as we could about which tools are we going to use? How many things can we actually, rules and, and processes can we follow to get the bare minimum of security? Like security is important, privacy is important, but there are things that we could we could go under the radar for a little while while we were building it, and then, and then after adoption, after after launch, we've been adding layers of tooling and processes that that you'd expect to to operate in that business. So yeah, that's what that was. And so, so presumably, it wasn't just the launch at the at Pendemonium, which is an awesome name for yeah. an annual yeah, conference. Sure, yeah. um, but you know, they wanted to take it to market and turn the tap back on for new customers and and yeah absolutely that, that and so very quickly so how did it start to it must have started scaling pretty fast yeah. when it suddenly had access to all of pendo's customer base absolutely um so we you know we'd we'd been selling a, a, our product for 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 the years we had hundreds of customers yeah and yeah if you went to a an exit, you know, if you went to show your product at a conference and you bought a stand, you would you would speak to a number of people during the conference. Mm-hmm. But with Pendo's brand behind us, the demand was at, and and at the Pendo conference. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, as you can imagine, a much bigger company with a bigger brand and a bigger population of users. Yeah. Suddenly there was a lot of demand, so there was there was good problems to have. Right. Yes, yeah. but then you had to get the tooling in place. Yeah. As yeah. quickly as possible. Absolutely. So that that afterwards. becomes scaling a yeah. product rather than integrating products. Yeah, yeah. So that cool. was fun. That so, was fun. so that's, that was basically, sound, it sounds like, I don't know how, how long it was, but months of hard, really hard, long yeah. work immediately after being acquired and thinking you've made it as a startup. Yeah. You then embarked on this crunch to get everything integrated and, yeah, and the whole thing a success. It's and, a, an entirely different set of challenges. Yeah. You, you're used to stress and, and and deadlines and difficult conversations as a startup running a startup but then so being an engineering manager in a in a and with a with a with a with budget and resources yeah all of a right sudden, uh is a whole new whole new, whole new game thing. so yeah and that's where you are now because you you're you're building an engineering team here in absolutely Sheffield and... We're, yeah pendo's invest like pendo loves how we can get stuff done in Sheffield. They love our approach. They love our, our you know, the, they love the, the people we, we find here. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. We're doubling down in Sheffield. We've, uh, I don't know if it's, yeah, we've, we've, we've got expansion plans. Yes. You'd have to say numbers. No. But, um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's great news. Yeah, it is great news. Great news for Sheffield, I think. So we're really proud to have brought that here. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. It's great to hear the story and Cheers. to see it's going well. Um, Dan Dukes and everyone from Pandemic. Lovely stuff. Next, we have a double interview. We have Martin Benson, head of AI consulting at J-Wing, and Tim Latham, owner of Data Trainer. Back to you, Chris. All right, so uh, welcome to the stage, I'm Martin Benson from J-Wing and Tim Latham from Data Trainer. Um, I think when I start your slides, Martin, it's cool. going to go straight into a video, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which kind of shows what it is that you're talking about, that archetype, as it, it says there. So yeah. are you going to talk over and kind of give us an idea of what it is? That's right, yeah. He'll, yeah, he'll bend no... <laughs> 
relation to what's happening behind me. Okay, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that can just go in the background. The, right. the video is really to give you a, a sense for, for what the tool is. So yeah. <clears throat> Archetype is um, a software as a service product uh, that we've developed, uh, which um, allows um, our users to produce predictive models um, on their own data um, using um, deep learning. And deep learning is kind of the newest, snazziest sort of form of AI um, out there. And yeah, the idea of the tool is that you can um, uh, use it to produce predictive models on your own data without um, needing sort of deep uh, technical background in, in the sort of methodology, mm -hmm. uh, without having to write any code. Um, you can sort of uh, use the um, pointy-clicky interface. Mm -hmm. um, it will sort of guide you through the process so it's a step-by-step -step process where you're turning green lights on as you go through it. Is That's that right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as you sort of progress that. through uh, the, uh, the the project uh, to, to get to a model, you sort of, yeah, uh, yeah, get okay. more, more green lights on that nav bar. Uh, when you say progress towards creating a model, yeah, yeah. What so, do you mean by model? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I should explain, I guess, what a predictive model is and, like, why it's useful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, predictive models... Uh, is essentially just something that um, allows you to make a prediction about something based on data. Um, so it's used, um, you know, a fair bit in, in industry. Um, uh, one one use that I'll kind of come back to um, in later slides um, is in credit scoring. So that's um, an area that we've as a company done um, a lot of work in and their predictive models are used to to predict um, based on what we know about um, you know credit applicants whether they're likely to repay that credit or not right um, so there's an automated process um, that uh, looks at all the data relating to to some applicant mm -hmm. and makes a decision about uh, whether they're likely to to repay the debt or not um, they're used in marketing a fair bit too um, to predict for instance whether someone's likely to you know open an email if you send it to them okay or yeah. whether they're likely to click on an ad that you you know might place on the internet um, and so on right and then I get I guess across <clears throat> lots of um, businesses another sort of common use case is is uh, around predicting churn so um, it's helpful to um, be able to predict which customers are likely to leave you so that you can try and uh, take action uh, yeah. before they do so okay and so being able to predict the future and predict what's happening or the predict the behavior of certain groups of people is very valuable yeah um, and the techniques for doing so are becoming more and more sophisticated yes. and you've created a tool that makes creating a model a predictive model as easy as clicking through some screens as long That's as you right. understand what the parameters are yeah yeah, yeah. And then um, the the other sort of key aspect of uh, the tool, which uh, sort of relates to the next yeah. slide, really, is that it, it also does that in a way that gives you a very uh, high level of control over how the these models behave. Um, so, although deep learning is great um, in the sense of producing you know very very powerful models that can do a great job of predicting this thing that you're interested in um they're definitely you know black box um models yeah. that you sort of you know pipe some data into them and 
an answer pops out at the other end and what happened in the middle, God knows. Yeah, really, people are just affected by the results without yeah. having any redress or yeah, or exactly. anybody understanding why. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you know, uh, Apple did us a great favor, really, in uh, <laughs> helping us, you know, promote a key benefit of our tool uh, mm -hmm. through through dropping the ball, really, in this uh, exact area uh, just just uh, a month or so ago. Yeah. So they got in trouble for uh, essentially um, um, a man and his wife in the U.S. Uh, both applied for an Apple card, and uh, the uh, the guy got a credit limit that was kind of 20 times higher than, than his wife's. And, mm. and their argument was, you know, they had uh, sort of shared financial situations. So they were, you know, equally um, good credit prospects. And, uh, you know, their, their yeah. argument is, well, the only thing that's different between us is it's our gender. gender. Yeah. So you've, you know, made a biased decision on the, the basis of our gender. Um, and so, uh, you know, Apple certainly claimed that they've not done anything biased, but um, the key thing is what they still haven't done to this day is been able to explain why it made mm -hmm. that decision. And then, yeah, Elizabeth Warren's kind yeah. of, you know, saying uh, until they can explain why they shouldn't be using this thing. Yeah. That's the whole really reason that we uh, developed are they, are they not saying it because it's actually difficult for them to know or are they not saying it because there's intellectual property in the model yeah it's hard hard to know and I, I don't think we know in, in this uh, particular case um, it, it's possible that they're using something like deep learning a black box approach and they they just aren't really able to you know they've done that mm -hmm. in a way that means they're not really able to to know um yeah it could be that they're trying to sort of um it, lenders don't really like to say too much about how mm. these decisions are made because they worry about fraud if they kind of told you all of the right key you know and presumably there's a competitive advantage over there yeah yeah that too competitors that too. but of course if elizabeth warren gets away then this is going to be regulated and yeah lenders are going to be forced to show what their algorithms do yeah yeah well and i, I mean the other thing that's true in uh, the eu certainly is that the GDPR rules yeah. um, in, include clauses around automated decision making. Yeah, yeah. Say, so the individuals to explain to you need to be able to give sort of a meaningful information around how automated decisions are uh, are reached. Yeah, and so that's a digital a right that, in, that customers can think of like not actually saying specifically what they mean by that. Right. It's kind of a little bit open to interpretation, but certainly there's an expectation there. You go some some way to explaining how you've yeah. uh, reached the decision. So and, what we did know in Archetype essentially is allow you to um, impose rules on these models, these complicated black box models. You're able to constrain them and say, you know, I insist that, you know, there's this this type of behavior don't give me a model where this isn't true right and that's something that okay. um, has happened for a long time in credit scoring we've always added rules like you know as some someone's income increases then they should receive a better credit score and, you know the more times they've kind of not repaid their debts in the past the worse a credit score should be you can have all those kinds of rules that um, mean that when you make a decision um, there's going to be some you know, underlying story in the data um, that, that fed into that decision that um, justifies it. Right. And so... By that's what they lack here. Yeah. 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 
Okay, and these are some of the places where you've applied this? Yeah, that's right. So, how, how long has Archetype been in the marketplace for? Um, it's around a year, okay. yeah, around a year now. And um, o over the, the course of that time, we've um, uh, done around 20 proof of concept uh, projects, um, mainly with banks and financial services companies. That's kind of our target market, really, for the product. Um, and, and what we've done in those uh, proof of concept exercises is to take some data from them, um, use Archetype pr to produce um, a predictive model, and then do a like-for-like -like comparison of how the Archetype model compares to their existing model okay. um, to, to you know, show the benefit yeah. very concretely. We found uh, just across the board that we've been able to deliver like really strong results uh, and, you know, credit scoring is a mature industry. People have been producing, you know, yeah. decent predictive models for, yeah, yeah, for long 30 time. years. Mm. So to be able to kind of do better still, right. but um, yet also uh you know satisfy all the requirements around making sure that it doesn't do weird stuff uh is uh it's been good right yeah that sounds like a bit of a breakthrough if anything and yeah in, yeah in and, the modeling. and i guess that kind of yeah leads on to the next slide yeah. which is a, a gratuitous um <laughs> chance to show off our trophy whoop, whoop. <laughs> so, yeah, we've uh, yeah been uh, we've won a number of awards for uh, for the products over the last year. We've in fact been winning them at such a rate that we have another one that we've not yet okay. had a chance to. Uh, <laughs> so since you took the photo, just go in the slide deck. That's yeah, been another yeah. award win. That's so that great. takes us up to five. Okay, and and so so archetype is is built by J Wing. Yeah, of of which you are a, a engineering lead for AI. I think isn't that yeah. Um, but Tim, you're, you you founded a startup called Data Trainer, uh, and you're using Archetype or using JWing's capability. In uh, yeah, some other yeah. Area. My 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 startup based over at um, Collider is is basically me. Data Trainer is me. Um, I've created and, and built and sold a couple of businesses. I was looking around for something else to do, and in that research, was just drawn to the. The vast amount of evidence that suggests artificial intelligence is going to make massive changes to all sorts of industries, all sorts of businesses. So I researched that to death and thought, I, based on my skills and experience, I can construct a front-end business model to do that, my commercial background. Um, but I obviously needed a partner to be able to deliver that work should I be able to go out there and find it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I met Martin at an event similar to this. Uh, and I've fully landed square on my feet in being able to create a formal relationship with J-Wing where this kind of sort of enterprise-grade tools are available yeah. off the shelf for certain solutions. And also, you know, Martin leads a team of 60-plus, 70-plus right. data scientists, you know, from basic wranglers right through to, you know, deep learning PhD type stuff mm -hmm. who can offer bespoke solutions. So, to, so are you to looking anyone? to take Archetype to a different market than J-Wing is? Or, yeah. Because yeah, it's got so, so yeah. many different applications. Yeah, J-Wing and, and not, not just Archetype. That's what we're obviously here to talk yeah. about today. There are a number of, of other off-the-shelf tools and J-Wing are very busy pitching those successfully into very large businesses. Mm. Uh, what they're helping me with now is, you know, taking this skill and experience and knocking on the doors of 
smaller, right. but open to innovation businesses who right. can because, get their hands around the other thing AI, that, squeeze value out of their data. Yeah, because the other thing that archetype and similar things does is it, it um, commodifies that data science and deep learning capability Can do, yeah. so it's now within the realm of smaller companies that would do you know, have a lot of data but don't have the means to turn that into a prediction model to gain insight into yes. their business and their market yeah right that's fantastic it's really really interesting to hear about it i think it's great that this kind of research and product is going on in sheffield as well so thanks very much for coming in martin and patent Tim. pending as well you forgot to mention oh, that. sorry patent pending patent pending yeah. yeah good thanks very much everyone Great stuff. And now we have our penultimate interviewee. It's James Jeffries from Shedcode. Chris? Hello. <laughs> and we're off. Yeah, and we're off. Yeah. So my company is called Shedcode, uh, and that's really uh, enables me to work freelance yeah. and work on interesting projects. That's what I like to do. Um, because you like trains. I do like, I'm not working on any train projects at the moment, but I do like trains. Which is why uh, it's called Shed Code, presumably. Which is why it's called Shed Code, yeah. Um, and so we're going to talk about Energy Sparks, which is a project that I've been working on since 2018. Okay. So on the right-hand side there, you can see uh, one of the most powerful computers in the galaxy, <laughs> or artificial intelligences. I think this probably uh, maybe even knocks Archetype out of the court, but this is ORAC from the <laughs> seminal and classic 1970s uh, science fiction program, Blake 7, uh, and which I hankered after when I was a kid. And um, I was working with some Raspberry Pis, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a, a case that looked a bit like ORAC? Uh, for my Raspberry Pi. I couldn't find one, but I did a search on Twitter and I found this chap called Lee Dodds, who also was thinking about this back in 2012. So I followed him. Right, as you would. As you would. And he works for the um, Open Data Institute, which I don't know if many of you are aware of it, but it's a very interesting organization that does lots of interesting things in promoting the use of open data. Mm -hmm. um, and he then tweeted saying, is any any people around Bath or Bristol Way, uh, who are Ruby developers interested in working on a project with them. And it was to do with schools, it was to do with energy. I did train as a teacher back in the way missed the time. I've worked for energy companies and I develop in Ruby, so. But you don't live in Bristol or Bath? No, but I got in touch anyway and said, hello, uh, this sounds cool, I'd like to get involved with this. And he came back and said, well, you, you don't live in Bristol or Bath, but thanks for getting in touch, which is fair enough. Uh, and then, a few weeks later, I was just down in the supermarket and my phone rang and uh, this woman was on the other end. She says, hello, I'm Claudia. I work for Energy Sparks. I'm the project manager. Have you got any availability? And I said, well, yes, as it happens, I do, uh, but not in Bath or Bristol, <laughs> uh, but I do in Sheffield. And I then ended up going down to meet the rest of the team. And that's how I got that project <laughs> all through ORAC, Blake 7, Raspberry Pis, and the ones of social media. That is, that is how social media works. Yeah, that's how I work at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit about EnergySpark. So uh, we get half-hourly meter-reading data, usually from suppliers or from the local authority uh, or from a, a data store. And then we do lots of uh, 
modeling, number crunching, we get temperature data, solar PV data, and all sorts of stuff. And the bit in the middle, we have a, um, an energy expert who works on the team. It's really his project, really. And he used to work in the city doing financial modeling. Okay. But now he's more interested in climate change, the climate emergency, and reducing carbon. And so there's a lot of stuff in the middle, which is very clever stuff that does a lot of clever things. Right, so you've managed to find a quant that has left finance and... Yes, I wonder, I think he might have left finance with lots of money, which is why oh, he wants to do other things. Yeah. Um, and then with all that information data, we, um, we it's Engine Sparks is a website, and the real thing for me is empowering school kids, pupils, to actually learn more about energy, about how to save money in energy, about climate change, uh, and empowering them to do things in their school that's right. going to make a difference for the school. Right. So there's an element which is for the pupils, there's an element for the teachers, also for school management. We're giving them that information and trying to help them see ways in which they can save energy uh, and save money for their schools. So there's activities for the kids. What you see on the left there, that's the, the main pupil dashboard. And you might recognize the style of illustration if you know Lisa Maltby, who's an amazing Sheffield illustrator. Um, and there's information there for the kids about how much energy they've been using in their school and the equivalent um, things about trees. <coughs> and there's a whole lot of different activities for the pupils and uh, classroom plans. Uh, class plans so that uh, children can either motivated by themselves or with help of a, a teacher mm -hmm. or, um, do activities within their school and learn more about energy and then do something about it uh, and and it and it works as well so in schools you find that once the kids go around and they they go around to measure all the temperatures in the different classrooms and things like that and they badger their teachers and they badger their head teacher and say we need to do something about this and lo and behold the plan is that they do something about it and the school saves a bit of cash yeah. and you quite often if you go uh, you know to, certainly to our local school it's winter at the moment and the, w the windows are open because as soon as you get the kids in the classroom uh, each uh, child basically generates like 60 watts so old school light bulb of heat if they're thinking really hard if they're thinking really, maybe a bit more of they're thinking really hard <laughs> so you've got an effect you know 30 60 watt light bulbs sat in the classroom with the heating on of course it's too hot right you don't need the heating on then right. but quite often schools don't have enough control over what's going on yeah so we give them lots of information so on the right hand side there's a school comparison chart there and that's showing the um the gas usage for the school at different times so the green's when the school's open uh blue's when the school's closed uh red i'm trying to remember red i think's weekends oh holidays and yellow's weekends i think so you can see there's a lot of schools that are actually using a lot of gas when the school's not even open. And sometimes they can't do anything about it because it's not in their control. Right. So some central councils and people control it. Sometimes it's they've just got a really old you know, timer for the thermostat uh, and the control, which you know, for a couple of hundred quid they could replace and save yeah. a lot of money. Um, so it's quite often it's the, the schools that are very... That they maybe don't have the finances and they don't have the knowledge and they don't have the time yeah. to know what to do. Yeah, and so no one's, guess. you know, everyone's busy, but no one's pushing them. But if you can get the kids to push, get the kids pushing, then, yeah. then that starts to make And of course, it. you can see the difference it makes. Yeah, that's right. 
So it came about originally, um, obviously, in Bath. The Bath Hacks isn't about hacking baths. It's, it was in Bath. <laughs> so there was a hack day with uh, the council and Transition Bath, which is an organization looking to transition away from carbon. Right. Um, so there's transition uh, groups all around the country. Not one in Sheffield anymore. Uh, but there was a hack day, and that's where the original concept came from. And then they got some funding from the community fund, Over Energy, the ODI, and a few other people to, to build a bit more. And then when I got involved, they won um, the Non-Domestic Smart Energy Management Innovation Competition uh, with <laughs> the Departments of uh, Business Energy and Industrial Strategy, yep. uh, which was in three phases, and that's why they needed some developer time because they've got this funding oh, okay. to do some work. And that funding runs out in January. So in theory, in January, that'll be my time will finish at that point, right. depending on what happens with other funding. But some other people have got involved since then. Uh, so we've done some user research with Paper, who are a Sheffield-based user research company, who you might have heard of or seen, even seen sat here at some time. Um, so we did some work with them. Oh, yeah. Lisa, doing spoke illustrations. And then we've got some other councils involved now as well. So Somerset came on board. So we've got some Somerset schools, uh, the world-famous Sheffield City Council. I think we've got about 15 Sheffield schools. 15? I think so, on Energy Sparks, approximately. Yeah. Um, Oxfordshire and uh, the latest ones, the Highlands. So uh, we've got those sort of areas and we're looking, obviously, to encourage other either councils or multi-academy trusts or whatever to get, get involved. Yeah. And really, it's about getting hold. Once you get hold of the data, well, I was going to say, how how difficult is it to set up for a new school? Well, that's the thing. For if we've got the if we can get the data easily, it's it's easy. Yeah. Um, but part of the issue is is that in terms of open data, is it's sometimes it's very difficult to get hold of the data. Sometimes the data quality is a bit rubbish. Uh, smart meters aren't always renowned for sending the correct information in a timely fashion. <laughs> Um, so there are always issues with data quality, but once we've got that, we've got a pipeline built up for different energy formats. So some of them come in via email, some of them we do classic FTP onto a server to yeah. get hold of them. Um, so once we, we can work out a way of getting the data, then it's easy to onboard people. Okay. Uh, and just very quickly, here's just some examples of a few things. So that the first, the big chart there where you see the big green line, that's the base load. So that's when for electricity in a, in a school or at home, uh, the electricity is used by all the things that run in the background. And there's a big drop there mm. in the middle, which is in summer when they, they switched off all their freezers <laughs> and things like that in the summer. And then it came back on again. And then where the little black mark is, what they realized was that it was such a massive amount of energy that the freezers were using um, that there was something awry somewhere. And they worked out that one of the old freezers was incredibly inefficient. Yeah. So they spent a few hundred quid on a new freezer, and then I think they're saving about seven hundred quid a year wow. just from doing that. That's, that's one of those. That's one of those things, isn't it? Like old fridges and freezers lose the freon gas, yeah, um, and then the the um, compressor has to work much yeah. much harder. Yeah. So it's actually cheaper to replace the fridge with a new one than it yeah. is to keep it running for, and you know it. It's a it's a it's a big problem in in um, you know poorer neighbourhoods that have older appliances. They could actually save money by getting new appliances, but of course that's right. And so, and the other things like the, the the pie chart, that blue again, that's energy being used when the school's closed. 
Right. And getting this, this is actually Whiteway, is a Sheffield school. And this, the chart at the bottom shows their heating coming on late at night rather than coming on early in the morning. So if they change that, they'd save 30% of their gas costs. Right. Which is crazy, you know. But it just, again, it's just the time. Yeah. Uh, empowering people to do it and, and getting those changes made. That's yeah, a brilliant project. Um, and a great story as to how it came about and what impact it's had. So I hope it does carry on. I mean, obviously yeah, you're involved well, the project, and may not, but the project will. The project will carry on its anyway, yeah. whether I'm there or not. Um, and hopefully we'll see uh, you know, more and more schools coming on board and seeing the differences yeah. made nationally. Nice one. Thanks very much, James. Thank you. James Jeffries, everyone. Tremendous. Finally, we have our final interviewees. It's the VEX Robotics Team 47618C from UTC Sheffield. Take it away, Christopher. Okay, so we have on stage our VEX Robotics Team 47618C from the UTC Sheffield at Olympic Legacy Park. Um, do you guys just like to introduce yourselves quickly? Start with you, Jane. Yeah, uh, my name's Jane. I'm the team manager and the competition manager, so I make sure you know uh, we're all prepared for competition. I've tried to find alliances. I'll talk, talk about that a bit later, but yeah, that's my role. Uh -huh. Um, I'm the main builder for our team, uh, so I work on everything sort of physical. What's your name? Uh, Lou Butler, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I work on everything else that goes on with the robot. Uh, we've got a programmer and a, a strategist involved, but they're not coming up with us. Okay. And? Uh, I'm Thomas Ferry. I currently manage the social media and sort of the communication stuff, so I've made the presentation. Okay, and your other teammates are in, in the audience as well. Do you uh, want yeah, to say got, who they are? Caitlin, she's the uh, main strategist. Jack, he's our main programmer. Okay. And Emma, who unfortunately can't be here, she does fundraising budgeting. Right, okay. Yeah. So you've got a, a multifunctional team of six people. Yeah. Are all part of the robotics team. Yeah, we've got, uh, well, one of the things we're quite uh, proud of with, uh, well, we do a thing called Go Powered. Uh, so we are either half or majority um, ah, team okay. members so currently we've got 50-50 split of yeah. three males and three females brilliant so, yeah. excellent well done okay this is you yeah so that was at our school for the, uh, one of our competitions a few years uh, last year I think it was last year because you can see the judge in the background yeah I think this one's this is this, is this year you can see that was our old robot you can see that oh yeah sorry the, the did, yeah. oh really that was a robot that didn't cut it is that yeah um, I pulled that in about 20 minutes in the morning okay I got there and nothing was working anymore so I had to rush to get that to work so it was a bit of a scary morning okay uh, actually is the next slide the video or is there uh, one in between the next slide was us introducing ourselves we did, oh. I didn't realise oh yes sorry <laughs> that's my thought uh, yeah well you yeah, that's uh, just a, a picture of <laughs> obviously this. Louis and Jack working together on the robot uh -huh. that was just uh, uh, yeah, that was this year just finalising some stuff for the Okay. And so just to explain then, um, you, you, you're engaged in competitive robotic challenges using yeah. this particular set of robotic technology from a company called VEX, is that? Yes. Uh, yeah. And they set a new challenge every year. Yeah, uh, yeah it yes, tends yes. to use a lot of the same equipment year to year. Sure. So we use the same equipment, but the game changes every year, and so you've got to, um, you know, redesign your robot every year to yeah. suit the game. Um, so that's kind of. And and the robot is fully autonomous. It's not like Robot Wars where no, someone's we, controlling it. There's um, an autonomous period at the start of a, I think it's a minute, 
Okay. Uh, the robot's completely autonomous. No, it's 15 seconds, sorry. <laughs> 15 okay. seconds at the start of the match where the robot's completely autonomous. Um, and if you win the autonomous by scoring the most points in that period, then you get, I think, I can't remember how many points it is. Six, six bonus points. Six bonus points. Uh, oh, okay. And you've got a minute of driver control. Uh, two minutes, sorry. Two minutes of driver control where you have to drive around um, with the controller you can see at the bottom there um, and score as many points as possible. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's mixed. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Right, if you want, should we, yeah. should uh, yeah, we yeah, see yeah, what... Should, uh, should hopefully play, yes. Yeah. This is the introduction for this year's game, so this yeah. is uh, what we're, this robot is going to be competing in. Okay. Yeah. So when, when did this game, uh, when was this game announced then? Uh, uh, this year... I think it was just the end of the school year. Uh, so last this one year around it. July, August time. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. All right. Let's see. Welcome to the world's greatest two minutes in robotics. The 2019-2020 game. Vex Robotics Competition. Tower Takeover. Tower Takeover is played on a 12 foot by 12 foot field by two alliances. One red and one blue made up of two teams each. The object of the game is to get more points than the other alliance by scoring cubes in goals and placing cubes in towers. The VRC Tower Takeover field contains 66 cubes. There are 22 of each color. Well, that went on for a bit longer than expected. Yeah. But... <laughs> I meant to play for like a minute, but I I think, yeah. <laughs> no, well, yeah. it's a three minute long video, I think, but we know the game now, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, lots of some speakers, you know. <laughs> yeah, so um, before we get into it, we could probably talk about our, how we started building the robot. Um, so what we first when we first saw the video, we had to you know do a team meeting and see what what's going to get us the most points. How are we going to win this game? Yeah, How are we one of you is a strategist, right? Yes, she's right there. Yeah. Um, so what we looked at was um, towers is a big thing, especially in this game. It's called Tower Takeover. You know, it's one of the biggest things in, mm. in the game this year. Um, so we thought that it's going to be the it's going to be the changer if we can get stacks in all all our score zones and also get the same colors in our towers that's going to get us the most points it's it's like multiplying mm. one uh, if someone had a tower of six of green they would get six points but if we had a tower of three but with two orange that gets us the same that gets us nine points that's yeah. less. so yeah we, we went okay so we need to get them in towers and so that's where we went with this robot so far i think okay so you how much scope have you got to design the robot the way that you want I mean, it's uh, <laughs> infinite if you want to if you want to call it that. I know. I mean, you can go in any direction you really want. Uh, sure. Okay. Um, you can go in any direction you want with it. You can do whatever you want with the equipment that you've got. Okay. But um, it's sort of we we started off with basically having a giant lift that went really high to try and do all the towers, but it proved you know uh, inefficient, slow, and just didn't really fit the task. So we're going yeah. with a new design a new sort of approach where okay. we can stack all the cubes in this intake and then stand them all up to create a tower, uh, which should hopefully allow us to do a lot more cubes a lot faster and therefore hopefully <laughs> so, the most. So when you're planning this, do you start you start with strategy? Do you break the game down and try and simulate the game or play it and, and you know figure out what the best tactics are going to be and then design the robot, the best possible robot for the tactics that you want to employ? So, so a lot hangs on that strategy then. Yeah, there's a lot of um, thinking going on and trying to figure out the best way to do, because there's so many different ways to do the same task in, with the robotics, especially mm. with, the, with the scope we have. We have loads of different 
possibilities, and the only really uh, the only real restrictions is the size. Like we can't make it. It's an eighteen by eighteen inch, but it's only at the start. Okay. So oh. it's within the 18, we it's could... A, so you can telescope it out yeah. and... You want. I mean, so that's what we're planning to do here. Yeah. You can see it's probably over 18, but if we... That, that folds down, in and flips yeah, out at the yeah. start of the game as well, so we can... Okay. So yeah, it could go anywhere. That's, yeah. But so, fitting in that 18 inches is a nightmare. <laughs> right. I will say. <laughs> It'd be like building a transformer. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> right, so, and, so you have an equivalent arena that you're going to face in competition at the UTC. Yes, In the yes. lab with us. In the lab. In the robotics lab, yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, one of the main things about this is having, I think is um, we try to also make a lot of things autonomous. So yeah. our programmer there is really good. He's really good um, at what he does. And uh, what we try to do every year is try to make it as autonomous as possible, which makes it easier for the driver and easier for the autonomous period. Because the autonomous period, as you saw there, six points is actually really worth a lot. In, mm. the, in the actual game like mm -hmm. it can be the make or break between a tie if you had the autonomous win you've got an extra six points um, so you, you have that leeway of six points to lose or, yeah yeah um, it's really important you have to start. the two extra purple cubes as well that we could just put that straight into our tower and we're done so there's a lot and, to and then so the, the, the more autonomous it is the the, the easier it is to mm -hmm. yeah I, you know if I spend ages trying to get something aligned yeah or I, we can do that with so yeah yeah to get it perfect mm -hmm. every time so so you just need to point it at something and tell it to go and do the thing that it yeah. needs to do and it'll yeah. take over and it makes life much easier for me right. I'm the driver as well right right oh, okay <laughs> so it's not as if the autonomous period stops and it's now fully human controlled human it's you're allowed human control after 15 seconds I mean I think fundamentally you can make it as autonomous as you want right. it can be I think it could be fully autonomous we did experiment with that idea for a bit but that didn't really uh, go so well <laughs> um, yeah have you seen the you know the Google Google like mapping cars street view cars with LiDAR yeah uh, but that didn't go so well so um but we do try and make ah. everything as autonomous as possible right so so what do you have um freedom over the sensors that you use as well or are they just yeah. to choose from a limited set we have uh, sonar sensors <laughs> um ultrasonic sensors uh we have vision sensors gyroscopes. which can do um also yeah, gyroscopes uh there's quite a few sensors. There's, there's a lot of sensors. Yeah. Right. Oh, there's color sensors um, as well. Which color really sensors we can have. Um, right, they're pretty important. Yeah, especially for this game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, how different is this game from the last year's game? Um, Did you, you were you on a team last yes, year as well? We were on a team last year. Uh, um, last year's game was. Um, what was it called? <laughs> the balls that threw the. Oh, yes, yeah. so we had, um, last year's game was evolved um, flags, so you could actually throw balls at the flags, okay. your robot could throw balls, um, like the year 13 <laughs> team, the year 13 team last year, which got to Worlds, yeah. um, they had like a, a scary intake, <laughs> a very scary <laughs> intake that, that took the balls in and then shot it at the flags. Wow. So it's like, um, it's like the, oh, no way. Flag sort of yeah, yeah. theme, but then there was also like a parking mechanism. So at the end, you, um, if you got onto the top platform for parking, um, that would get you an extra five points I think it was yeah five points and there's also cones that you could stack on top of these mobile um bases um so there was a lot going on last wow. year wow okay <laughs> last year we um we used pneumatics uh, for the parking mechanism okay when you're on the top of that tower people can contest you and try and push you off right so we had the entire robot well, so you were sucking office. yourself down or? no we went up we, oh, okay. we went off our wheels with a mat on the floor to hold us down and it actually run really well. We were really <laughs> well, surprised at how well that went. 
Yeah. So and, and that so that team qualified for the World Championships. So the team with the intake, Dom's yeah. team last Dom. year, um, <laughs> they, on... they got to Worlds with their Shake. robot yeah. because their robot can basically do everything yeah. on, on the field. They can wow. do everything. <laughs> so, so they were really good. So Sheffield teams are quite... Oh, I'll go to the next slide, actually, and yeah, so maybe we'll show the achievements. Yeah. Yes, I think this is a combination of both this year's last... And last... Yeah, last and, year's... And the other, and the other, and yeah. the other robotics as well that we do at school. It's so got this. a WR, DOE, WER yeah. as well. Yeah. Yes, which is probably in Shanghai yeah. at the moment. Yeah, so there's, uh, yeah, there's three WER robotics teams out in Shanghai. I think yeah. they left today mm -hmm. I think the, to compete. All three are on the next side. We've got Magenta, uh, Robonauts, and I think Team Fab. Yeah. Uh, who I think well, Magenta only set off uh, this morning through Shanghai, yeah. but I think the other two have already been there for yeah. a while. But yeah. But yeah, that, that just shows the sort of. Um, Obviously, the other side was the um, achievements that VEX has yeah. done, but obviously we're not limited to VEX. We've got uh, WR, and the new one, we just started the first tech challenge. Okay. Uh, so we can try and get a broader, right. broader so, interest in models. And, so it's first tech yeah. challenge. Is that a, a global event as well? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Where, yeah, it is. Sorry. Yes, yes. Uh, obviously, we're a UK team, yeah. but it, it's completely different on how it is compared to VEX. So like, this is all metal. You screw it together. That's more sort of... The metal frames and yeah, it's, it's, it's like slides and it's more like sort of Meccano okay. uh, in a way. Right. But yeah, right. It's, it's more focused on the engineering side instead of the programming side. So, so we've got we've got you know multiple different sort of competitive leagues that are yeah. now global leagues, mm -hmm. and we've got um, I guess you know not that many, but you know quite a few teams in Sheffield from different schools. And, and Discovery STEM, yeah. who do WER, which is like a sort of out of hours and homeschooling yeah. um, uh, institute, um, all competing from the ages of, well, we had them on last year, the, the kids from WER who were, you know, seven and, yeah. and older, up to your age, I guess, are you A-level students, is that? Yes, uh, yes, yeah. year 12. Year 12s, yeah. Um, and the Sheffield teams are uh, qualifying for the world finals. So we've got three teams qualified for the world finals that have gone out to Shanghai now. Your team qualified for the finals in Kentucky last year with Vex. You're now starting a new season looking with this robot to qualify for the world finals again. Yeah, we need to get nationals first. Yes, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so how does the competition, what's your com competitive schedule so, like? It, it, it's, oh, oh, so the next one should be 17th of January, which we're going to Sunderland for. Okay. Um, not too far. Um, yeah. And then I think after that would be nationals, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, well, it it's, oh. Okay, so that's the regionals. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's based like so. You you have your regional areas where everyone compete first, which yeah. allows you to qualify for the um, nationals. The nationals, and obviously you get your certain place in nationals, which then allows you to qualify for worlds. Worlds. Uh, but there are a few other ways in. So uh, the skills challenges, uh, where you can get your uh, you can get worlds entries, national entries, and the more paid for by competing in uh, completing certain skills challenges. Oh, okay. So like the fastest amount of points, the most points, like, like in a certain amount of time, which um, our team won at the yeah most like okay. regional competition. And that that wins you. It's a possible nationals place. So if yeah. Uh, I think there's like a top five sort of pool where if you're in the top five and you haven't qualified yet for nationals, okay, yeah. you can um, get through that you way. You can get through that way, which yeah. we've actually done pretty well. I think when we looked at it earlier, um, any teams that are above us in terms of scoring, they've already they've already um, 
they've all already got to nationals. They're, they're through. So technically, we are the first in terms of unqualified. Yeah. So that could possibly give us a place as well. Yeah. Um, if Sunderland doesn't pan out, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, there are a few other ways well. in. There's like you can get uh, awards for winning, like by creating websites and obviously like community awards. So we've run okay. some uh, workshops with some. Um, uh, some younger children from uh, some oh. schools uh, around Sheffield right, okay. and run some workshops with them. So you can you can basically build up points by uh, sort of. helping communities out. Yeah, so if you yeah. win certain awards, like there's also, um, there's also like judges awards that you can get at competitions. So even if, even if you don't win, if they're impressed by your robot or yeah. by the design or by how your team's working together, then there's also a possibility there that you could win an award that could get you to nationals. Okay. So how many teams are you expecting to be competing against in Shanghai? In Shanghai. Oh, not in Shanghai, in oh, Sunderland. In, uh, in Sunderland, in Sunderland right. uh, 16. 16, yeah. So 16 other teams. Yes. And it's just the first that go through, or the first three, or? Uh, the top two. Top two. So yeah. Because, okay. you know how I talked about alliances earlier? So alliances is where you team up, you have to team up with yeah, another, okay. another robot. Yeah. Um, and then, so there's a red and blue team, and whichever one wins at the, at the um, final match, that, that team both teams go. Right. So that's how, that's how that okay, works. Okay. So Alliance is quite an important part of it. You've yeah. got to find a robot that kind of suits, is, is compatible with your... With your strategy. Yeah. yeah. So um, like that, that's why we, for example, would want to find someone that can stack in towers if we're a, right, if you're, if we're a stacker, yeah, yeah. if that makes sense. So yeah. you've got to find someone that's quite compatible and that's cool. sort of my job when I go to competitions. Right, okay. So you've got that's to go out and talk to people, um, yeah. talk to other teams and see... Are they? Do they want to team with you? Or do you think you can work together well? Yeah. And so yeah, that's something. And so you, you do that kind of before the competition starts. You can do that throughout then, the competition. Really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because so we have the teams. You have the pre, um, the pre matches, the uh, qualifiers before like the the tournament tournament. Okay. Um, so that's where you you get set matches and you get those matches with um, set alliances already, and you go to them and you work with a team um, and you work on your robot and that gives you the sort of the seed teams for the tournament afterwards okay. the actual qualifying the um, knockout rounds yeah. I think it is um, so that's where you try and find out which which robot works well because you actually you know test out and see which robot works well you mm -hmm. go have a look um, see all the robots in action um, even if it's not your match you can go have a look and that kind of gives us um, an insight into what robot might work the well the best with us yeah yeah and then you have to approach them and see yeah. if they want to be your <laughs> so there's a bit of a social yeah, aspect allies. as well yeah that's yeah. great uh, cool and so just finally um, if you do qualify for the worlds in Kentucky mm -hmm. you're going to need funding to get there aren't you yes so <laughs> presumably you have a fundraiser uh, yeah that, that's um, who yes, isn't that's... here but... so we'll we'll um, distribute your information and your fundraising page to everybody um, in our community all of our members and everybody who's here um, because it would be such a shame to win through all of that and then not be able to go to Kentucky yeah. to keep compete against the rest of the yeah, world. And I, I know that happened to Dom, Dom last yeah, year. They, yeah, they, they couldn't go, they could they? Yeah. So, yeah. Funding and yeah. exams and all sorts. Yeah. So year 13 is not a very good year to yeah, it, get it, it was great no. Obviously, unfortunately, in a bad time. Yeah. 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 Well, you kind of we're aware of you now. And, uh, <laughs> you're starting a bit earlier, so hopefully, I think the the worlds are not aren't until. Not at all. May, while, June, yeah. something uh, like that. June, yeah, maybe it's July. June, a lot later this year, yeah. Cool. Well, that's great. And all the best. Good luck. And I hope your robot absolutely kills it. Um, thank you very much. The robot team from UTC, everybody, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. And there we have it, our interviews for the fifth Sheffield Digital Showcase, which took place in December 2019. If you enjoyed that, you can go and listen to the previous episodes. They're all on the Sheffield Digital podcast feed. You can find those. Um, and you can listen to all our other interviews that we do as part of the Sheffield Digital podcast. We have lots of them by now, over 40, over 50 episodes, probably over 40 interviews. And if you'd like new ones coming straight to your ear holes, then you should subscribe. You can do that in Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts from. And um, and do tell someone, let someone know if you've enjoyed this show or if you enjoy our other shows, pass it on and hopefully they'll pick up their headphones too and enjoy themselves. And that's it. Until next time in a more informal, normal episode. <laughs>